some of the Marines that I worked with, not because I think that they're bad people or anything like that, they were great, but a number of them did make it clear to me that they weren't really sure why Canada would ever allow or let women on the front lines because we are vulnerable and because in combat situations, how are our male counterparts to focus when all they want to do is protect the woman instead? I'm sure you can imagine the look on my face or what was at least going through my head when I was having these conversations. I don't think it's, I've ever tried to so hard to have a straight face in my life. Hi, I'm Shannon Busta, and you're listening to For Her Country, a podcast produced by the True Patriot Love Foundation and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund. Over the course of this series, we'll explore lessons in leadership from inspirational female leaders from across Canada's armed forces, all in honor of fallen Canadian military hero, Captain Nicola Goddard. The clip you just heard was from Lieutenant Navy Jen Martin. Within the Canadian Armed Forces, there are three elements a new member can choose from, land, air, and sea. We've spent most of our time on the podcast focusing on members from land and air, but on today's show, we're going to spend more time at sea with Jen, who joined the Canadian Armed Forces in April 2004 as a Maritime Surface Officer. Jen successfully earned her bridge watch keeping ticket in August of 2006, and in May 2010, Jen deployed to Afghanistan. As a member of the NATO Training Mission Afghanistan and the Combined Security Transition Command Afghanistan, during her eight-month deployment, Jen worked closely with coalition partners to train Afghan forces in both combat and non-combat roles. And while on deployment, she raised over $15,000 for school supplies to help thousands of students in Afghanistan attend school. Lieutenant Navy Jen Martin has earned an Army Commendation Medal from the United States Army for her tireless work in Afghanistan and her willingness to take risks. And of course, Jen was also recognized in Canada and presented with the Chief of Defense Staff Coin for her work on deployment. Today, Jen works as a staff officer for the Naval Reserve Central Region Team. Jen, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. It is great to have you. You've got 16 years in the Navy under your belt. And so I'd like to begin our conversation today by asking why the Navy? Um, I grew up in um, a very landlocked place. So I grew up in Guelph, Ontario. Um, we didn't really have much access to water, but uh, for whatever reason, I always really liked the ocean as a kid and liked the idea of being on the water or near the water. I found it really calming and, and quite peaceful. I didn't really have aspirations to join the Navy or the military in general for that matter uh, until I was in grade 11, I think it was. And we had some recruiters uh, that came to my school. They were from, I'm sure, the recruiting center in Hamilton. They were dressed super sharply. Um, if I'm being honest, one of them was really good looking. Um, so that was probably what drew me over to, to speak with them. Um, and then I learned from the female that was there that she was in the Navy. Um, she happened to be a, a clerk, so she told me all about her job and her time in the Navy. Uh, he was in the Army, he told me lots about that as well. And I think I remember stepping back from that um, at that young age. And the next thing I did was uh, get online and look up the Forces website. And I was really hooked at that. I saw all those images of those Navy personnel and I thought, wow, like those ships are really impressive. I don't know what I'm going to do in the Navy, but I'm, I'm really interested in it. And that interest never really went away for me. 
Um, and then when I went away to university, I happened to again cross paths with a sailor and they opened up my eyes to the opportunities that existed in the military. And the next thing I knew, I was telling my parents that I was enrolling as a maritime service officer, which is what is now known as a naval warfare officer. So really just kind of fell into it, I guess. Okay, I, I have to ask, what was the reaction from your parents when you went to them with this news that you had decided to pursue a career in the Navy? Um, I've always been um, the adventurous type, I guess. So it didn't really surprise them. I guess in one sense, they sort of thought, oh, here we go. It's another adventure that um, she's trying for a little bit. I'm sure she'll get out of this phase in a few years if that's the case, but it's been Oh my goodness, um, 16 years now, so I haven't really phased out of it yet. Um, it's a work in progress maybe, but not really. I really love the forces. I think uh, initially they were, like any parents, a little bit worried about where I was going to end up in my career, uh, what kind of dangers I would be in. But especially for my mom, I think it was more or less like the time away from home and where I was going to end up and everything in the Navy is away from Guelph, Ontario. Um, we do have a river in Guelph, but there's no ships on it. So I think they were just coming to terms with me maybe having to leave home. Yeah, that must be one of the downsides and upsides, I guess, of joining the armed forces. I mean, really, you're signing up to go where the job takes you. Yeah, but that also brings a lot of excitement, I think, as well. And um, I know tons of people that are in different occupations that travel a lot for their work as well. It's really no different than that. I think we sometimes forget that there are so many jobs out there that require travel. Ours is no different. You're right, though. It does sometimes lead us into um, maybe some less glamorous places, um, but everywhere um, has its beauty. So I can't really complain. I, I don't think of it as a bad thing that we have travel. I think of it as probably one of the biggest draws to being in the military is that you do get to see the world. The Navy slogan is join the Navy, see the world. And uh, they're definitely not kidding. So over the course of producing this podcast, we've spoken to women in the Army and the Air Forces, but we haven't spoken to many people from the Navy. I'm hoping that you can give us a sense of what role the Navy plays in the Canadian Armed Forces and what it's actually like to work on a naval vessel. If you, um, like, if you think about it, Canada has like, one of the largest coastlines in the world. So um, our Navy has a, a very vital role. Uh, I'm sure some people listening to this might be aware that we have some Arctic offshore patrol vessels coming online shortly because um, our Arctic sovereignty is incredibly important and the ability to, to police and, and put a presence up there is super important to us and obviously to Canadian citizens. Um, we also have a number of um, mandates in terms of working with other departmental organizations. So we work a lot with the Coast Guard, we work with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. So we do have quite a big role here in Canada, which is, um, I think, obviously to our citizens, incredibly important. Um, but as I'm sure many people are aware, we're also overseas as well, working uh, great tasks for NATO. Um, obviously, we've been in, in the limelight recently for having a ship over in the Mediterranean. And we keep them there as part of a standing task force as well. So although you might not hear about uh, our Navy is often, because um, we are at sea a lot, we have ships all over the world. We've got ships in the Caribbean um, that are working hard on uh, Operation Creep, which is uh, our drug sort of countermeasures um, operation. So again, like, I think one thing that we're definitely getting better at is def um, identifying or letting our public know where we are, what we're up to, and all those great things. Not only that, those sailors are also uh, holding roles in land positions. Having worked in Afghanistan myself, there was a number of sailors I met there. Um, and again, there's positions all over the world that we're occupying. The cool thing about the Canadian forces is that 
although we're all trained to one specific trade, we're very multifaceted and we can occupy a number of different roles and responsibilities. I think that's another amazing benefit to being in the Canadian forces is we are so versatile. It probably comes from the fact that we are a smaller force. And um, so our people are multi-trained. I like to tell people. Yes, I have certainly gotten the sense over the course of this podcast that the leadership foundations provided by the military really set you up for success in any number of environments. So let's talk about your career and your leadership experience. Can you give us a timeline of your career to date? For sure. So I joined in 2004, I think it was. And I joined uh, not really knowing anything about the Navy. Uh, Truthfully, I probably knew about as much as like the average person in Ontario would know. We kind of knew I had one, didn't know much about it, but still really liked the uniforms. Uh, So after joining, I went straight into training uh, and our training was held uh, or is held out west in Esquimalt, British Columbia, which is another massive perk to being a Naval Warfare Officer. It's a beautiful location. So through my time at, uh, at the time it was called Venture Naval Officer Training Center, um, I learned to navigate and drive ships. Uh, which was fantastic, learned lots of great things, spent lots of time in the water, lots of time in the classroom, building amazing friendships and connections that have truly lasted my whole career and I don't doubt will continue. So after those four summers, I trained in the summer as a university student. Um, I went back to sea and got my bridge watch keeping certificate, which is, I guess the easiest way to say that is your, your license. So that's when the captain trusts you to drive a ship He's obviously the overall responsibility on a ship, but someone like me is, uh, he deems safe to drive. So he would grant, or she for that matter, would grant their bridge watch keeping certificate to me. So from there, I spent a little bit of time doing a few coastal operations in North America, which was fantastic. Spent a little bit of time on land at uh, CFP Borden. I worked um, the basic recruit training there for quite a while. I really enjoyed it. Got to know a lot of Army people at the time, which was really great for me because up until then in my career, I really was only exposed to Navy personnel. And although we're all the Canadian forces, we, our different elements do operate slightly differently. So I learned a lot from the Army people and I'm sure that they learned a lot from me. And I was super junior in my career at that point. So it was all kind of overwhelming, but still really fun. Uh, From there, I kind of took a little bit of a time off in terms of platoon commanding at the base. Uh, And then I ended up going to Afghanistan in 2009. I did a nine and a half month tour there. Since then, I guess my things that I've been tackling is that uh, I've completed two Operation Lentis, which is um, responsibility or our responsibility for sort of domestic operations here in Canada. So most notably last year, I was handling the maritime side of the, or I was responding to the maritime element in Ottawa for the floods. So I worked within a command structure. I was not commanding it, that's for sure, but worked within the command structure as liaison officer, liaising again with the Army, uh, Army and Navy together to sort of help the citizens of the Ottawa area, which was really rewarding. Um, And then for the last month, I've been strategically working on the maritime uh, planning and operational component to Operation Lentis again, as we prepared for another heavy flooding season, which fortunately didn't really come about. So I'm really happy because I think we have enough on our plate with COVID right now. I'm Catherine Rusk. Captain Nicola Goddard was my sister, and I'd like to make a request. Military service can bring great challenges and sacrifices, 
women in particular can face unique issues. Help True Patriot Love and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund support Canada's servicewomen, veteran women, and their families. True Patriot Love Foundation is a national organization that supports the military and veteran community by funding critical programs across the country. Please consider donating today towards their mission at tplgoddardfund.com. No donation is too small. On behalf of my family and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund, we thank you for your support. This episode was sponsored by Geneviève Bonnet, partner with McKinsey & Company and former serving member of the Royal Canadian Navy, RMC Class of 1993. Geneviève has been a proud supporter and board member of True Patriot Love since 2013, and we thank her for sponsoring today's episode on behalf of Treble Victor Group. I'm hoping that we can just go back to Afghanistan for a moment. I'm curious, as a civilian, how somebody from the Navy ends up deploying to Afghanistan, a mission in a landlocked country. Can you walk us through how that deployment came about for you? Yeah, for sure. I love the Navy. I, I will always love the Navy. But part of me was starting to feel like I wanted to do something different. Afghanistan was really ramping up at the time. I was really supportive of the mission personally, and I felt that I felt really somehow internally that I wanted to go. It didn't really phase me what I could or couldn't do in Afghanistan, but I really felt this strong desire to serve in that country. And I realized a lot of people might think that sounds a bit ridiculous. Why would anybody really push um, to get to Afghanistan when they're a sailor? And I, I don't know how to explain it other than the people in the Canadian forces, you're really ingrained with a sense of duty and responsibility. And so none of us that I can think of anybody runs away from anything in the forces. We usually run to it and uh, most force members slash all people I've met in the forces work really hard and believe that we want to make the world a better place and we want to protect Canadian citizens. So I actually dug around a little bit and I pushed a little bit and was able to, uh, working through my chain of command, find a position in Afghanistan that I thought based on my qualifications would be something that I could handle. So I originally was tasked with becoming um, sort of a staff officer in Afghanistan. So really, truthfully, just more or less of a, a paper pusher, but ever, there's no unimportant jobs, I guess, in any mission. All jobs are important, whether they're support or frontline. So with that, I thought this is a great opportunity here for me to gain some operational experience uh, overseas in a more of an army type setting. That'll be great for personal and professional development. When I got there, um, my orders changed a little bit. There was not a misunderstanding by any means, but maybe just a redirecting of forces, I guess is the best way to say it. And again, that's entirely possible within our amazing organization, the opportunities you have to be so fluid. So the next thing I knew, I was um, more or less working under an American command uh, that was led by a, a Brigadier General. Uh, he was a really cool guy. General Smith was his name, really liked him, very much a cool Southern accent kind of a guy, but uh, he kind of, he tasked me with a number of different things that were definitely outside of my element. But it, I remember thinking a number of times, truthfully, that I was grossly unprepared for the missions that he was sending me. But I also realized that in the military, 
our commanders and our, you know, our chain of command will often give us tasks that are challenging for us to allow us to grow as individuals. If they give you the tasks that they know that you can handle, you don't really improve. And I love that challenge about the forces. You are constantly pinned into situations where you feel like, I don't know what I'm doing, but really you do. You just need to piece those things together. So while I was working for General Smith, I did any number of things. Um, part of my position was that I worked alongside with the Afghan border police. I worked with actually an RCMP officer, um, some Marines. So it was kind of a mixed bag of people, which was really fun. We looked at the training and development with the Afghan border police. So that included anything from teaching them how to test for bombs coming across the border at the border checkpoints. For me specifically, because I'm a female and therefore the world thinks I'm a subject matter expert in all things women, I got tasked with trying to figure out how to get women into the border police uh, for the area that I was in as a result of the fact that you know, women have to search women in Afghanistan. There's a whole cultural issues if we don't. Um, and then again, being the token female, you get your, your jobs or your tasks that way. So it was really neat for me. I got to talk a lot with these women, uh, obviously through an interpreter, and learn about some of their, their struggles that they had that we don't have. So horribly, women would say to me, well, I would join, but if I join in the Taliban, find out then it's not just me that they're going to kill. They're going to kill my family. They're going to kill my kids. They're going to kill you know, beyond that. So a lot of that really, as a young woman, you know, I kind of stepped back and I thought, oh my gosh, like we have so many crazy freedoms that I think just everyone should have or, or deserves, or I often thought the world was just like that. It really kind of compounded to me to think that these women live such different lives than I do. Now, I'm not, I'm not dumb. I was well aware of that before I got there. I think just in those conversations, it became so real to me. Um, the other really big project that I took on was more of a voluntary project. So we would be out on the roads regularly. And one particular day we drove by a school. It looked really awful. It was dilapidated, like really dreadful. And then there's kids running around and I just have a really soft spot for kids. So we had pulled over and to have like a bit of a, a rest stop, I guess. And I got chit chatting with the kids through, you know, hand motions and facial expressions. So I shouldn't say talking, but they quite loved me. They thought that I was a rock star. I think being a blonde female, I was just way foreign to them. Um, but I, that day when I left, I did get a little tour of their school, if that's what you want to call it. Um, but it broke my heart. And I went home that day and said to my parents, uh, sent them an email and said, I really appreciate all the care packages. I'm super blessed in my life. I have fooled a lot of people into liking me. So I was getting a lot of care packages. Um, but I changed that and I got my family and friends to start sending school supplies um, so that I could outfit the schools. So together with um, an army sergeant major that I, I knew, we were able to raise $17,000 worth of school supplies to outfit the kids in the area, which was really sort of uh, important to me because although Afghanistan was such an amazing experience for me, there was also a lot of you know, sadness too. Definitely you know people that are, are hurt um, or killed overseas and that takes its toll on you as well you know going to bed every night not knowing what's going to happen is there going to be you know mortars sent my way or what's the next day going to entail it, it does add a different level of stress to you I don't go to bed at home anymore you know wondering what's going to happen overnight like I'm pretty sure I'm fine so when you're constantly there you're under stress regardless of if you're on a front line or you're not, obviously there's varying levels of stress. I, I totally get that and appreciate that. But I found that finding something that sort of a shining light within the tour 
really gave me something to grasp onto and definitely gave me a sense of additional purpose. And what a great way to help uh, give back to the communities that you guys were operating in. I'm curious, were you working with many other women when you were over there? At the time, actually, uh, the U.S. military, interestingly enough, didn't allow, there were still some definite female barriers with the uh, American military. They were not allowing women to be on the front lines, on the combat front line, or what they deem the combat front line. Now, as this isn't trench warfare, so the identity of a, a front line is quite hard, as you can imagine, in Afghanistan, where roadside bombs and IDs exist. Um, so if you look at the fatalities in America, there were a number of females that were killed, uh, killed in action, so to speak. But um, So that was a little bit uh, different for me in the sense that some of the Marines that I worked with, not because I think that they're bad people or anything like that, they were great, uh, but a number of them did make it clear to me that they weren't really sure why Canada would ever allow or let women on the front lines because we are vulnerable and because in combat situations, how are our male counterparts to focus when all they want to do is protect the woman instead? I'm sure you can imagine the look on my face or what was at least going through my head when I was having these conversations. I don't think it's, I've ever tried to so hard to have a straight face in my life. I love that you're coming to this with humor now, but what about then? Uh, you know, you were there for nine and a half months. You weren't going to change the way every coalition officer thought about this issue. So how did you get through it? Uh, for me, it was about education. And as I said, I didn't find any of those people necessarily outwardly trying to make my life challenging. I did find early that when giving direction sometimes to those uh American men, some of them definitely struggled with it. Um, you could tell uh, the way they acted or how slow it was for them to respond to something. Uh, so it became a matter to me of trying different types of leadership. So for me, it was about becoming a chameleon and a matter of trying every single method that I possibly could. So methods that I thought worked really well with Canadians didn't work so well initially with Americans. So sort of the, the fun, gen kind of vibe but also you know can play the stern card when we need to and definitely give directions and orders and it's not fun and cowboys all the time that's for sure i wasn't really working with them because i had no rapport they didn't trust me they didn't think that i was capable of the job which i failed to understand initially because i come into the canadian forces and assume that everybody there knows that i can do my job so i found that the best way for me to get the americans on board was for me to show them what I was capable of. So if it, if it meant carrying more gear, not more gear to make a, a point to the point where it was a detriment, but carrying my gear as opposed to letting a guy grab it from me. Um, making sure that out on patrol, I'm not the one needing to stop to take all those water breaks or you know pull my helmet off to give my head a little bit of a break. Those sorts of little steps. Um, when under fire, we um, had some shots fired at us initially in a convoy that hadn't been there very long. And just the ability to maintain your composure when there were some junior members of that team that were getting really upset and worked up and, and very fearful, and rightly so. I, I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the world that feels super calm when shot at. But uh, the ability to have that calming presence really started to win I guess me over there, they started to really think, wow, she is super capable. Uh, barring that, the ability to have some good initiatives 
And to be clear with the troops that were working with me, I thought was very important. So transparency to some extent has got me quite far. The ability to say to people, here's the mission in its clearest sense. Sometimes that even meant saying, I know this isn't gonna be a fun one, or I know this is gonna suck, but we're gonna get through this together and really motivating your people, I found incredibly helpful. I wonder if looking back on your career of 16 years at this point, is there a moment or a, a big challenge that you overcame that you look back on or that still sticks with you? Um, there's a couple. Um, I think Afghanistan as a whole was probably my biggest challenge. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I'm not um, an army person. So uh, overcoming working in a different element in a different environment was incredibly challenging for me but when I stepped back from that tour I think wow that was incredibly successful not only was I you know working on land which is a little bit different for me but I also got to work with so many different coalition forces you're working with the U.S. came across a lot of Aussies some Brits so that was a really amazing experience for me and I, I think probably the one where I've grown the most as a person but again, it was the most challenging as well. So the amazing takeaway that I learned from Afghanistan is that when we think that something is too challenging for us or it seems unbearable or overwhelming, those are actually the times when we are testing ourselves the most and we grow the most as people. Because I, I genuinely believe I'm a better person and a better member of the Canadian Armed Forces for having gone through that type of experience. Similarly, but to a lesser extent, a much safer extent, I would say that my final course in the, the Navy, which is now called Naval Warfare Officer 4, was an incredible test to me. It was called Mars 4 back in the day. Everyone knew that the course was very hard at a very high failure rate. Um, you're at sea for really long days. Most nights you're awake because you're running through tests and drills, man overboards. You're tired, you know, you're getting only a few hours of sleep every night. You've got long, busy days and you're quite stressed out and you know the responsibility that's coming with getting that qualification. I think I will never forget uh, when I earned my bridge watchkeeping certificate, I was on a ship in the St. Lawrence River and kind of had it coming or I kind of thought it was coming because all of a sudden I got hit with a number of different emergencies and, and sort of fires that I had to put out and they all came in rapid succession and I, it almost felt like it was a test. And sure enough, I didn't realize, but the captain had kind of hid on the bridge of the ship. He was up there and kind of watching and seeing how things were going. Um, as soon as the last sort of horrific emergency happened and I dealt with it, he came forward and said, um, well, I think I was a, an acting sub-lieutenant maybe at the time. He said, well, acting sub-lieutenant Martin, congratulations, but please don't F up my ship you've got your ticket. And he walked away and it was a very, <laughs> wow, what just happened? I remember when he left the bridge of the ship, I just kind of felt super surreal. I was staring around and I said to the crew that were on the bridge with me, did he really leave? Like, am I up here by myself? Like, um, so it was a really cool experience for me. I would say that that moment in the Navy, even though I've done lots of cool things in the Navy, don't get me wrong. Anyone that's listening to this, there's, oh, there's really cool things to do. But that's a moment that I remember thinking all those years of training have really paid off. And I was really proud of myself. That sounds like a pretty intense way to level up. Um, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that the Navy slogan is join the Navy, see the world. So of all of the places that your career in the Navy has taken you, uh, what's the most memorable? Um, 
this is gonna like really sound cheesy and token and I swear nobody has sponsored me when I say this. Um, I'm way cooler than I sound, I promise. But it's doing anything in Canadian waters. There is something so refreshing about it. Like I have seen the world like everybody has, not everybody, but lots of people have been fortunate to have, but there is something so refreshing to be in Canada, even just as simple as driving a ship in your, you know, a port visit in downtown Toronto. We like people in Ontario don't think that's a cool experience, but man, is it amazing to see people who don't often see warships come to the ship and tour the ship and experience the ship and you get to talk to people about your career or if you're on the coast of you know bc and you're out in the, the gulf islands or anywhere it's just so beautiful we are so incredibly lucky that i'm a, a very proud canadian so i think truly one the best thing for me in the navy is anything around canada you mentioned, you know, when you come to Toronto with a warship, and so now I'm thinking that the next time a warship comes to Toronto, I'm going to have to go down for a tour because I'm genuinely curious about what life is like on a ship. I imagine it's not spacious. Yeah, no, and that's a big misconception because growing up, I watched Breaker High, and in that TV show, I saw what ship life was like, and I was thinking it's great because Ryan Gosling's going to be there, and this is gonna be amazing, but the Navy, it's not like that as it turns out. So uh, the Navy is kind of neat. It's depending on what type of ship you're on, um, your shift work is, is different depending on your occupation, your ship work can be, uh, your ships can be a little bit different, but sort of the, the rough or easiest way to say it is everybody's up around seven in the morning and we operate on a series of pipes they're called, which really just fancy whistling. Uh, so at seven o'clock we're up, we're having breakfast. For me as a, as a naval warfare officer, I might be driving a ship from, let's say, 8 a.m. in the morning until noon, and then someone will replace me. And at that point, I would be doing some other secondary duty. So perhaps I'm the deck officer. So I've got other responsibilities in addition to driving a ship. So I would take care of that uh, throughout that working period of time. I'm meeting with sailors. Uh, we're working through development for them, training for them as well. I've got any number of tasks personally that I have to be tackling as well. Then I'm likely to have another shift again uh, later towards the afternoon, whether it's four, five, four, six, somewhere around there, depending again on your ship's rotation. And then everyone sort of, you likely have a shift overnight, which means you're going to bed um, at some point. When I was doing that um, maritime service four course, we worked on a one in three rotation. So that meant every night you either had the 8 p.m. to midnight shift or you had the midnight to 4 a.m. or the 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. And that rotated, which was a pain. So you might have the, the middle of the shift, the mids it's called, the midnight shift from midnight to 4 a.m. one day, but the next day you have the 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. So you're not getting a lot of sleep on our, our Navy ships. Our people are working hard, that's for sure. And uh, when you're not napping during the day because you have a lot of work to do, it definitely adds up. Um, so our sailors, those ships work around the clock. They're working hard. Uh, there's always people up and always there to respond to emergencies as well. I mean, ultimately, we can't just go to bed uh, because the world keeps ticking and you never know when anything can pop up, whether it's a search and rescue that you're getting a call for or some vessels in distress or persons in distress. So um, definitely not like Breaker High. Our accommodations, strangely, are not the same. We're usually bunked uh, in two or a lot more type of cabins, like an awful lot more. 
uh, with very little room to move. Fortunately, our, our beds come with a seatbelt. So when the weather's rough, you can just strap yourself in and you're good to go. So that's a great luxury that we have for sure. You know, you've been in for 16 years now and you don't seem like somebody who's planning to leave for another career anytime soon. So what's keeping you in the Navy? It is, I feel like one of Canada's best kept secrets, the Canadian Armed Forces really, like it is. You get incredible training, you have incredible benefits, you have incredible friendships. I can't think of a job that gives you so much opportunity so young in your career and then just keeps giving you opportunity as you progress. So for me, there are so many other things that I keep thinking, wow, that would be an awesome thing for me to tackle in the forces. So I wanna stay in until I can do that operation or I wanna stay in until I can achieve this. It's the fact that we can do so many different things and have so many different opportunities is what really kind of drives me. And then truthfully, again, the token cheesy answer, but not cheesy because it's truly honest and comes from my heart. I really take a huge sense of pride in serving Canada. I love to put a uniform on. I love to represent our country. I love to, I love the whole population for that matter, as cheesy as that sounds. Um, I'm really happy to represent our country. And I think that anybody that wears that uniform would say the same thing. Jen, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights and your stories with us. It's been so fantastic having you on the show. You guys have a good night then. This episode is dedicated to members of the Canadian Armed Forces who tragically lost their lives this year in the line of duty. This includes Sub-Lieutenant Abigail Cobra, who was a naval officer like Lieutenant Navy Jen Martin. Abigail was killed in a cyclone accident in the Ionian Sea this past April. And on the next episode of For Her Country, we speak with Captain Marianne Barber, a trauma nurse who served in several overseas deployments, including both Kabul and Kandahar, Afghanistan. Marianne's life changed forever on September 11th when she was stood up with the possibility of immediate deployment, but to where she had no idea. Finally, it took five minutes and went and, and actually watched, because of the time difference in Alberta, uh, watched the second plane hit the second tower. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is a big deal. So then following the new stuff, and then I phoned work, um, because our unit, we were predominantly working in civilian hospitals as supernumerary staff. Um, and so I remember calling and saying, uh, what are we, what's going on? Like the, and one of the girls that I got a hold of, she just said, yeah, get your stuff together, go home, get packed, get back here. We don't know where we're going. We don't know if we're going, but we are this immediate response unit, medical team, like be ready. For Her Country is hosted by me, Shannon Busta. It is written and produced by me and Katrina Bullock. Our music is by Whiskey Wolf and Oceanic Piano. A special thank you to Catherine Rusk and the Goddard family and the team at True Patriot Love for their support throughout this project. And thank you to our episode sponsor, Genevieve Bonnet, on behalf of Trouble Victor Group. This project was produced with the True Patriot Love Foundation and the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund. True Patriot Love is Canada's leading organization that supports military members and their families. It administers the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund, which was started by the Goddard family to support women in the military in honor of Nicola. 
To learn more about this podcast and the great work of this organization, please visit forhercountry.ca and consider donating if you can.